Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Anna Hopkins, an actor you may recognize from Arrow, Shadowhunters, The Expanse, and a couple of episodes of Killjoys this season. She also co-stars with Aaron Abrams in Mark Slutsky's delightful short film Final Offer, and you'll see her opposite Kim Coates in the second season of Bad Blood, which premieres Thursday, October 11th on City TV. Oh, and she's also shepherding her own short film, The Give and Take, her first as a writer and director, around the festival circuit. Its next stop is at the First Glance Film Festival in Philadelphia on Friday, October 12th, and then it plays the Austin Film Festival October 25th and 29th. Anna picked E.T. the Extraterrestrial, Steven Spielberg's 1982 masterwork about a boy and his alien. Released a year after the breakneck adventure of Raiders of the Lost Ark, it marked a major change from the man who made his reputation on relentlessly paced films like Duel, Jaws, and 1941. But he'd hinted at this mode in the quieter moments of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and of course at the subject matter. Even so, E.T. is an almost shockingly tender work. A science fiction fantasy with a big, complicated climax, sure, but at heart it's a gentle fable about two lost souls making a connection that changes both their lives. Look, you don't need me to lay out the plot for this one. It's E.T. It's wonderful. This is someone else's movie. Well, yeah, the question was, it was a really hard one. It was like, okay, what film are you going to choose and I feel like there's there's just so many categories in your life when it comes to film like yeah and I think when you said form I, I think you said formative at one point it's something that yeah it's one of the one of the keywords I use to help people mm-hmm. just focus on a one title you know is it something because sometimes someone will pick something they've seen recently and yeah exactly before, and sometimes it's the movie that just hasn't left you yeah Right. I think that's that's kind of where it, it landed. Um, as I mentioned to you earlier, we had three VHSs yes. growing up, so I watched them all a lot. And, and the other two, for the listeners, were previous episodes on the show, so correct. I had to disqualify. Airplane and Labyrinth. Um, but e- So I ended up, you know, I would watch E.T. like mm. every day. <laughs> and uh, it's totally stuck with me for the rest of my life, so... So how old were you when you first saw it that's a good question um what year was it 82 82 okay i think like i can't remember so it's the first time i had memories right it's always been there yeah it's always been there oh yeah that's nice isn't it yeah (laughs) i was what um i was still 13 in 82 Mm -hmm. uh i saw it on the first day Mm, uh, at the Highland, which is no longer here, but it would have been a, like it was a seventy millimeter theater. It would have been. You saw it when you were thirteen. Yeah, that's. So I fun. was basically. I think I I like I'm the perfect, uh, '80s kid because I was roughly the same age as Elliot in ET when I yeah. saw ET, and I was roughly the same age as Marty McFly when I saw Back to the Future. Nice. So it's just like these movies were made for <laughs> oh me. I know what <laughs> kind of yeah was definitely. Elliot 13 he's not much older he looks so young yeah I'm sure we all did but yeah, yeah no I, Henry Thomas I think was a little older than the character he might have been 12 or 13 yeah but um I could be wrong about this how much younger is he supposed to be than uh than Michael because Michael's a teenager Michael's like yeah I guess he's Michael's supposed Costello to be like and... 16 mm-hmm 
riding his dirt bike. Gertie's four. Gertie, is she four? I think she's three or four. Baronwood was. She was so good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. It is, but it is the kind of movie where you stop talking about the plot instantly and just fall into the feelings of it, right? And and the things that are connected to. Absolutely. I was trying to figure out how to get into the movie, like what is the angle, because it's it's not often, I think, that you realize you're watching a perfect movie while you're in it. Like more often than not, it's later. Yeah. Well, rewatching it. I mean, yes, it, it, when it finished, it was like, yep, that is a perfect movie, 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, but while I was watching it, the first thing that would ha- kept on happening was there were so many scenes that I completely forgot about. Because when you think about films that you watched when you were a kid, it's sort of like a mosaic of like five scenes yeah. that you just, they're like so visceral. Like when E.T. opens the beer... Right. Like that whole sequence was just so fresh in my mind, you know, Mm -hmm. or um, especially the end, like when they're in their hazmat suits and stuff like that was just so clear. But then there were other scenes like the opening scene I forgot about. Like I always imagined that the opening was the kitchen, the, the, the kitchen nighttime scene. Okay. Like, I just, that's sort of how you, you know, and then, so when I was sort of rewatching it, and it was like seeing it for the first time, like the landing, and and, and that scene was kind of like a, a remind. well, actually, I never even noticed it as a kid, but, God, it's a beautiful movie, visually. Yeah. And you just don't, I mean, those are things that, they resonate with you as a kid, but when you rewatch it, it's pretty... Pretty incredibly beautiful. Yeah. Well, you had said you hadn't seen it in a while, so how long had it been since this? I would say since I was like 11 or 12. And so this is you coming back to it for the first time? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, and you're, you know, you're a filmmaker yourself now, yeah. so you're, everything else you're going to be thinking about lenses and colors oh, and gels. I was thinking about it all, and I was also thinking about how, like, you know, the short that I did, it was the first thing I kind of wrote, and I wanted to write something that would be... Um, accessible for me to try and shoot and um, but I'm realizing all these ideas I had were just from this movie yeah. <laughs> like I'm like ah oh, crap you know which is kind of nice because you, you it's, it's nice finding realizing inspirations you know yeah, after yeah. the fact but like you know not wanting to show the adults in my film and then, and then rewatching this, I'm like, oh right, of course, <laughs> you know, it's like such a naive, but yeah, yeah. It's but it's I never caught it. I mean, I, I, I didn't occur to me just because the subject matter is so different in your short. It would not, yeah. have, I would not have thought, oh, that's from ET. No, so, it, yeah, I guess it's yeah, it's interesting how things, little things, sort of manifest. Um, but it was a funny. I'm glad we're doing the film because it is really sort of showing how much this film has influenced me yeah, and affected yeah. me. I mean, if we were going to be doing Airplane, it would just show up in the fact that, like, every day I reference Airplane and talk about Airplane jokes. Yeah. But I don't know if it's shown up in much of my work yeah. yet. That's it. That's the trick, right? You have to sneak. And as uh, Esmer told me once he managed to get the Amigo salute into an episode of Red Oaks, <laughs> and it was his proudest moment as an actor. That is good. Yeah. I still haven't seen it. I haven't found it yet. But I mean, you know, I if you could come up with a, a, a line in Killjoys or Shadowhunters where this is the wrong week for me to quit stabbing people or something. I mean, I definitely yeah. um, use that gif 
GIF, GIF. I know there's a lot of people out there who, yeah. Um, We're going to get letters. Yeah, so many letters. Um, yeah, I, I think on one of the live tweets for Shadowhunters, and very, very stressful one, I kept on, you know, <laughs> pick the wrong date. But it's like all teens, like right. really young teens, so they're just like, what yeah, is she is, doing? <laughs> who is that old guy who kind of looks like Jeff Bridges now? <laughs> Who's sniffing so much glue. <laughs> I do, uh, on set, when people are getting ready for a shot, I always kind of put in a Roger, Roger, vector, vector. (laughs) (laughs) And I just wait to hear for anybody who will say it back to me. And sometimes they do. Oh, it's nice. It's a call and response. (laughs) It's a trust game. Totally. It's lovely. Well, I was thinking there aren't a lot of, I was trying to figure out like if there are lines you can repeat for yourself from ET, like Cohen's like that. But I was really struck the last time I saw it because there's, almost no dialogue in like half the picture no it's 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 a it's a movie of feelings i think as you watch it um and that coming after you know raiders of the lost ark has long action sequences with minimal dialogue but this is so completely different um yeah this uh, when we we, i rewatched it with a, a friend of mine and her and her dad and we all after the sequence where um, it's the first reveal of E.T. Uh, to his brother right. and Gertie and the way that that sort of happens there's like no I mean there's a couple of lines but it's an astonishing secret it's, it's yeah. so funny and so um, you know there's a lot of there's a lot at stake and it's it's beautifully done and the choreography of it and blocking everything is just incredible and we all kind of after the scene was over just kind of was like wow I mean that felt good to yeah. watch yeah it's very satisfying it's one of those I'm just going to keep coming back to the idea of how novel it is to see a movie that is all like there's a special effect in almost every scene there's mm-hmm. something going on there's yeah. there's crews and cables and puppets and how physically complex it was to produce and shoot and it doesn't feel for a second like the world is intruding on it, uh, it it's it captures a thing that oh i know how to get into this stranger things the show yeah does not understand what life was like in 1992 that's no. the amazing thing about it it is it's a movie about that era made by people who didn't grow up in it, didn't live in it, and for kids who can't understand it either. So nothing ever happens alone. There's always somebody else there. There's always chatter. There's always noise. Mm-hmm. Like their version of that world is the Goonies where everybody's yelling over each mm-hmm. other all the time. Mm-hmm. But what Spielberg gets right about 1982 and suburbia and like American life, the TV isn't always on and yeah. sometimes you're just alone with yourself. Mm-hmm. And when, like I, my parents split up when I was 10 mm-hmm. in 78 so um, I know exactly who that kid is yeah. and it's just like you don't know who you are all you know is that your world doesn't make sense things are different nobody's talking about it and no one will talk to you mm-hmm. and so the when the when the spectacular when the fantastic intrudes into Elliot's life it's just perfectly natural that he thinks he can control it like he takes it over and, and he's keeping yeah, I'm this keeping is his him, part right? like that's his, his life line. yeah no absolutely I think like I think there's something about the film and my experience watching it that's really similar 
you know, our TV room in our house was like, it's so iconic yeah. <laughs> in my mind. You know, it's sure. in the basement. It was kind of redone, I think, like in the mid 70s. So it had like a mirror and then a lot of wood. There was a bathtub. Okay. In the TV room? Yeah. So funny. And there was a little door that you could crawl through and get to the other room. So it was this kind of magical. And yeah, no, we weren't always watching TV. It was, I when I think about that house, it was a lot of myself alone um, with my imagination sort of rummaging around. And, and, and then sometimes I'd put on a movie. Yeah. And, you know, it offered me E.T. And... Um, I was definitely the central character of my, you know, existence. And a lot of the time I was alone. I mean, there'd always be someone in the house somewhere. But um, I definitely, the, that, that feeling of sort of being a little bit of silence and a little bit of, especially as a kid, I think is really beautiful. And, and you're right, in that film, you really do feel it. And you don't get that in Stranger Things or you don't get... Yeah, but yeah. I think it's, Stranger Things is interesting because... It's the interpretation of that that era. Yeah, yeah. It's and it's very nostalgia. aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah, and it, the idea of mashing up Stephen King and Spielberg yeah. and, and all that stuff. But it it surprised me so much when it came out and people embraced it. And I realized the people embracing it aren't forty and fifty; they're twenty five. Yeah. They grew up on the movies. Yeah. So they're still seeing an adult's perspective on what a kid's life would have been then. Absolutely. And if you sit someone down in front of ET. Yeah, I always worried my nieces would think it would be boring, because it is—it's slow. It's not right. boring, but it is very deliberate in the yeah. first half. Um, except I keep forgetting there's also all this bicycle riding and chasing, and so like, much. there's, there's yeah. motion. Stuff is always happening. Yeah, but it really does just stop down and sit and and be with yeah with Henry Thomas and this puppet who isn't a puppet. I well, that's the other thing. I never ever thought about ET other than being E.T. Right. The alien. Yeah, no, no, I totally get Until that. the last time I watched it, and I was like, wait, what? How did they... What the hell is that? Yeah. I never even thought about it, which is so weird. Well, his pupils contract. Then why wouldn't they? He's real. He's real. I, I was at ILM for a thing, um, a press tour six or seven years ago, and they have him. Oh, my God, I need and, to see that. Yeah. Uh, I took some pictures. He uh, He's in a case. You can't touch him <laughs> because people did. And they were touching him. Everybody said, uh, I talked to the person in the room with him. Um, there's, an, there's a Yoda and an ET. And you just, and an R2-D2. And you just, oh my God. you come in and I wasn't the only one. I saw this in everybody else's eyes. You well up a little bit and you go totally silent because you don't want to scare them. <laughs> and it's just, it's everyone has the same response. And everyone was, everybody was touching ET over his right eye. I don't know why, but hmm. that's where you're drawn. Maybe it's just the positioning of it or some kind of human primate instinct. But everyone was reaching out to touch the same spot, so they had to put a case over it because the latex was starting to fray. Starting to... But it's oh. just... It was so weird because even inanimate, he's alive. Well, yeah. I mean, and we see him, you know, in those final scenes. I mean... I was crying a lot oh, yeah. in this recent I still, viewing. I still cry. When he's lying there. I mean, there's not a moment, especially as you know, like when you're in film, you often get taken out of things by, you know, knowing how they're done. And sure. you think a lot about how did they do this scene? And that did not happen to me with this. <laughs> like, it's hard. Yeah. So he's, um, it's, I'd, I'd like to, 
now maybe start finding out how they did it and, and what went, you know, maybe have some, have a look at some behind the scenes photographs yeah. and stuff. Because well, there were little people in, in, the, in a suit. The head was remotely operated, basically like a drone would be now, mm-hmm. like, a, like a car, a, a remote car, would be with, with handheld boxes, radio controlled and also physical cables. There are a couple of shots of the set because that was the other thing that they did that was ingenious. They really protected the illusion in a way that mm-hmm. almost no one did at the time. I mean, mm-hmm. there were all these. This was a couple of years after the Empire Strikes Back, and there were behind-the-scenes mm-hmm. books, and there were elaborate right. galleries and photo spreads and, and Time magazine covers and all that. And with ET, they always made sure that when the thing was photographed, it was photographed with a human being. They were making eye contact. There was activity. The cover shot of ET on I think it was with Spielberg on Time mm-hmm. magazine and. They shot one with Michael Jackson, which is still just incredibly creepy. What? I need to see that. He wrote a song. It was the thing. Okay. Neil Diamond wrote the song, Heartlight, but they really didn't push it that hard. Heartlight. Yeah. Oh. yeah. It's about E.T. Oh, my God. Oh, good puppet man. But, but, yeah, I mean, that definitely informs, I think, all of our... It They did. They never broke the fourth wall with that yeah. one. And, and popular culture just yeah. embraced him. Yeah. Oh. It, in a way that... It happens now, but it's always... You know, brought to you by McDonald's. It's always really, yeah, really forced and, and artificial. And at the time, I mean, you know, Reese's Pieces had a deal with them, and there was all this. But it felt, even though it was coming from the guy who made Jaws and Close Encounters and Raiders, and was the single most successful filmmaker in history, I think at that point, it felt like a small little movie that everyone wanted to protect. Well, that's how it feels. Like you're talking about. I mean, I guess at the age that I was watching it, I wouldn't have been just plugged in at all in mm-hmm. terms of any promotional aspect to it um i knew nothing about it i didn't even think i knew that steven spielberg directed it when i was a kid like all this thing was was a tape right. that i don't we didn't even have the cover and it just kept going into the oh, okay. vhs so it's like an artifact uh, totally and my relationship to it was it almost felt secret like it was just this movie and so no i would have never seen you know, I, I guess we had we had CBC and CTV. Those were our two channels, and right. we wouldn't advertise necessarily on that. No, I mean, if you were watching it... In the 80s? Yeah, I was watching it in 89. Well, yeah, because yeah, it didn't come out on video until 88. It took forever. It was a big deal. Oh, really? That Yeah, they didn't release it for six years. They uh, Spielberg wanted it to be, and I'm sure Universal wanted it too, to be like a Disney thing that they brought back every seven or ten right. years to introduce to a new generation... And then they very quickly realized that if they released it on video for $30, they would make $30 billion. And they're like, okay, let's do that. Yeah, so they rolled it out. Uh, I guess we got, like, the first round. Probably, yeah. And it was a huge deal at the time. Um, it's interesting to hear all this stuff because I know nothing yeah. about that. Well, it's okay. There's not much to it, really. It's all just marketing. But, no, oh, it's you mean true. The, the production stuff. Well, no, but even the marketing stuff, like, you know, these nowadays, I just, I feel like I know so much sure. of, around a film, you know, something that you're waiting for, or you're excited for, or something that you loved or didn't love. Like, you know everything about how it was from the second casting starts, mm-hmm. um, yep. from the second someone's developing the scripts. And, and so I never really thought about E.T. and... I always felt like it was this little film that I secretly watched by myself. But no, it was a huge thing. <laughs> it was, but you're right, too. It is something that is... Like, it's so intimate and delicate 
and precious. It it turns into, I mean, it's just dirt bikes, but it still turns into a full-on chase film. I, I had forgotten just how it elevates itself, how it escalates, but it comes back down to this story of a kid and, a, and an alien and with with almost no other stakes, right? Like the whole point of their relationship is that the world, the rest of the world goes away. It's almost, mm-hmm. I mean, it is a love story, but it's almost romantic. You know, oh, yeah. Really, I like in the end when they're saying goodbye. What does he say? I'll be right here. I'll, I'll be right here. Yeah. <laughs> oh my I know. It's, it's incredibly it's, powerful. Yeah. It's really beautiful. Um, and the thing that I forgot between viewings, um, and I think it's been at least probably five or ten years since I last, between my last viewing and my most recent viewing. Um, and I forgot how, not sophisticated, because it's, of course it is, it's Spielberg. He's going to make, yeah. you know, like, all the shots are at kid's eye level, yeah. and there's, a, like, the first time you see a car, it's the exhaust pipe, and mm-hmm. just these beautiful choices beautiful. of framing, and, yeah. and, and boxing off a part of the screen to protect something, mm-hmm. just subconsciously. Mm-hmm. And then going really big during the scene, um, during the beer scene where where yeah. E.T. gets drunk and Elliot picks up on it, and yeah. like that's that's a massive, complicated. All the frogs running away. Oh it's my incredibly god! Busy. Yeah, when that little when the little girls sort of they're when they kiss, right? And that's, they're standing. That's, yeah, that's Erica Eleniak from like I think Baywatch, right? And she's on. <laughs> she's in Under Siege. That was the first time I Gosh. saw her in anything. That's hilarious. And yeah, it's just good casting, right? He knew yeah. he could. He knew he could get people to do this stuff. Yeah. But then it comes back. Then it collapses itself back down again mm-hmm. and opens up again when when E.T. gets sick and Elliot goes looking for him on mm-hmm. the, the huge Halloween scene and you never right. like I, I every time I saw a big sequence like that it's like this is the same movie I don't remember anything this massive I just remember small things yeah like that's scenes exactly scenes in closets scenes in kitchens scenes in the, in the outside like that the dog that was exactly my, my yeah. reaction to when I rewatched it I had completely forgotten about the frogs yeah and then also the Halloween, the Halloween sequence. Yeah. I completely forgot about it. Yeah, they hide in there somehow. Mm-hmm. And just because even though they're important to furthering the plot and moving story, they're not about Elliot and E.T. together, right? Yeah. Like Elliot and E.T. are together at Halloween, but E.T.'s under a ghost costume, yeah. so they're not physically, it doesn't, it doesn't scan the same yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there, there is a huge story going on, mm-hmm. and... The movie doesn't care. No. I guess. Like it's really more about like Melissa Matheson's script just wants to focus on the relationships. Yeah. And the, the this family that has this thing going on that they don't they don't like Elliot clearly doesn't understand what's happening. No. But to, he has what I love about what so what became so clear again, like it's funny, when you when I watched it as a kid, it was very his response to E. T. was very normal. Sure. Like, well, of course that's what you would do. But watching it as an adult, you realize how beautiful it is when it's, you know, the perspective of a child and a child's instincts when it comes to the things that matter. Yeah. Like caring for somebody and protecting somebody that you love and or loving somebody quickly. And it was, and, and, and Elliot, uh, what's his name? Henry Thomas. Henry Thomas, is I mean I think I've watched his audition tape as many times as I've watched ET because as you as an actor you know you love watching stuff like that but he was just him as a person you can tell loved easily mm. and 
that's what Elliot was. And, and I think as a child, that's very natural. And so I think when kids watch it, I think they're connecting on that level. Whereas what's interesting with, with when it's an adult is you're saying, oh, wow, it should be like that. But yeah, it's not. No. And you can think of a million reasons not to. Absolutely. And that's weirdly, we don't, I, I was trying to figure out, it's obviously, it's conscious to keep the focus on the kids as much as possible, but, um, but D. Wallace Stone gets so much time, mm-hmm. so much more time than I remembered. Right. Because she's so present in their lives, and she's being shut out, and she plays that for the reality of it, instead of, you know, uh, a comedy mom role, or, like, yeah. you see her cry almost as soon as we meet her. She's yeah. She's crying over the sink with yeah. the dishes, and, and it's just... So much is going on, and it's necessary plot-wise to yep. explain why she doesn't notice all this stuff. Yep. But it's also, as an adult, it's heartbreaking. It's really heartbreaking to watch this this woman alone with three kids, yeah, and and chaos that she doesn't understand, and yep. how her life is just completely derailed. And Absolutely. then that's even before the army shows up, <laughs> right until the very end. But yeah, and I also loved, um, you know, the dynamic within the. F- within the family that they're trying to protect her as well um you know why did you bring up mexico like in that opening and it's just it's a beautiful yeah she's she was great i forgot about her too i mean yeah i remembered like one i guess like one scene with her and it was really that opening but rewatching it i mean elliot is like trying to protect her too it's 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 an interesting dynamic it's it's Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's I, I've said this, it came up somewhere when we were talking about Close Encounters somewhere, that the, the amazing thing about that film is that there are no villains. Mm. There's just people who don't talk to each other, mm-hmm. and all these separate groups, including yeah. the military, that just, if they simply said what they knew, there wouldn't, I mean, there would still be issues, but there wouldn't be adversarial relationships. Right. E.T. doesn't have a bad guy either. We think it no. does. No. But that's, well, the, that's I, the amazing mislead, right? Because of the limited perspective, because we only know what E.T. or Elliot knows. Yeah. And so when when Peter Coyote shows up, they call him Keys in the script. They never give him a name, this mm-hmm. poor guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when his face is finally revealed, it's just like, oh, he's he's sad. He's got Here's he's too. got stuff. Well, that's that's what was so interesting too is that I always remembered, you know, the government right. <laughs> and the army and those doctors as being, you know, the villains and the antagonists. Mm-hmm. But now when you rewatch it. They're trying to help, yeah, and 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 it's in the wrong way, and it's still really heartbreaking. And when they when they're trying to revive, when they when they call the time that ET dies, yeah, it, something popped up for me that I hadn't noticed before was how, you know, sad they were and how defeated, truly defeated, and and because a living thing was gone and a miracle, as he says, is gone. Um, and it's like, just listen to the kid, guys. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. But you would... I, now, like, this is what I'm thinking, too. So much of modern cinema is based in, if not cynicism, then at least skepticism, mm-hmm. right? Like, the, of course they won't listen to a kid he's a kid. Yeah. The movie never gets there. No. Like, E.T., is, the film, is still kind of willing at the very end to... Yeah, because they, you know, 
uh, it was interesting too that he's sort of roaming around during this time and they're still going to him to, you know, they're trying to ask him questions. They're involving him in this process. And and you'd think like, let's say they did revive E.T. at that moment. They'd be bringing Elliot with them, you know, and and you can tell that that's they're trying to sort of figure it out. But he has a lot of respect, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it's true. We, as the audience, already know that Elliot is E.T.'s interpreter, mm-hmm. so of course he'd be invaluable. Mm-hmm. But instead, yeah, there's there's just that weird extra normal thing with, that's absolutely normal where everybody is like these are scientists you're, you're missing the one sentence at the beginning of like come on guys we ran the trials we, we rehearsed this we know what to do yeah <laughs> and they do like clearly do like that yeah. the thing that i remember being stunned at this time through was when the scientist comes in and says he's got dna and he's happy like that's a, that's yes. a revelation yes it's a huge moment and it went blew right past me as a kid because like, I don't too, care yeah. what that means. They're hurting him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Me too. But it's like, of course, this is a mag- like this is this is the culmination of human history to this point. <laughs> Absolutely. They're and freaking been, out. Yeah. They've been waiting for this forever. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's also it's it's watching them fail. No, you feel for them. You Absolutely. Like, everybody in this movie is trying to do their best yeah and maybe yeah. probably the right thing yeah maybe not everybody but i mean there isn't even a bully it's not like no it's not that kind of movie no and it still manages to be like heart in mouth thrilling in that last third i i well this is what i was saying before the um uh the last time i stumbled across it on cable was the scene where the spacesuits invade mm. like that moment where the lights come right up and and there's a terrifying spaceman at the door and I oh my did, god yeah I mean I remember with the, the big helmet yeah in yeah. the theater it was terrifying but I didn't remember it as being an E.T. just that image mm. and I'm usually really good at identifying something from a couple of frames so and like, I know E.T. inside and out but I came across and I was like what is this and it took at least 30 seconds for me to figure it out and it's yeah. because it's tone is so completely different. different yeah it's you know there are a couple of jump scares but they're sort of lighthearted and mm-hmm. funny with mm-hmm. flashlight in E.T.'s face and all yeah. that but this is like, this is where you're reminded. Oh yeah, this is the guy who made Jaws. He knows. Yeah. He knows how to terrify. He knows how you. to do that. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's also the signal that the film is moving into something else, something that like the larger half or the larger third of the story is kicking in now, where the family is quarantined and the army is yeah. involved, and like the world is suddenly much, much larger. Much, much larger, and yeah, I mean, from as you said earlier, it's like what's what's going on in the other version of this movie is you know, a beautiful scientific development that, you know, everyone's been waiting for. But from Elliot's perspective, it's fucking terrifying. Excuse my language. And, um, and his friend is being taken away from him and it's that shift in tone. Totally. Cause Mm. they're in the bedroom. They're right before that guy shows up. They're in the bedroom, right? With the mom. Elliot's been missing and they've, they've both gone missing and they come home. And, and so he shows up. He's been, yeah. He closes the fridge door and he's standing there. Yeah, and she has that amazing moment where she spins on a dime in the middle of a sentence. You know, like she's furious with him and then realizes he's... He's, oh yeah, yeah I loved that. And just turns it back to, don't, don't ever don't do, do this again. again. And yeah. she just, she just, she, I don't think she even finishes the sentence. No. She's just sort of cuffing it out. Yeah. And I remember this time, like I remember it differently. It's just like, oh, of course, that's what a human being does. Me like, too. She loves him. That's what that is. Yeah. And... That stuck out for me as well. Yeah. Yeah, she's amazing. And then the rest of it is played as someone, like her, her 
she's playing someone who is struggling to process, mm-hmm. right? Because not only has all of this stuff happened, but she's <laughs> surrounded by the military. She's like, what is? Totally and also, you know, yeah, and trying to. Obvious. She, it, it's interesting in that in those sequences you can see she, she doesn't understand necessarily what's going on, but she understands that this is supremely important for Elliot. Mm-hmm. And so there's that sort of she's protecting him. She's not. She's not taking their side, you know. She's really kind of trying to figure out what's going on for him. And also, he, you know, he was ill. Yeah. Um, but even when he gets better, she's trying to process why this is... What's going on for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's just... She's, in, she's completely in the moment, even more than the kids are. She's yeah. just making decisions on the fly and, and yeah. stumbling through it. And, yeah, it's one of those movies where I think... You know, Spielberg's has, uh, he's talked about um, the ending of Close Encounters not sitting right with him now because mm. there's no way Roy would leave his family. But mm. when you're younger, that's the movie you make because mm-hmm. it's about the adventure and you don't really understand what having a family right. is. This is just five years later and he's already so it's so sophisticated. Fully aware yeah. of that that bond, yeah. Well, yeah, because the way that Elliot and E.T. are written as the, their relationship is. That's somebody who understands, profoundly understands love and family and and the importance of, of those feelings, for sure. Yeah. It's just such a... I mean, I know why, it, why Gandhi won Best Picture that year and why he mm-hmm. didn't win the Oscar until Schindler's List, but it really is. Like, it's one of the... It's just... It's such a, a unique and... and special film it sounds like it sounds dumb to even have to say it out loud but it's in danger of disappearing absolutely yeah well i'm just so happy that i got to rewatch it for this because (laughs) it yeah it can kind of just live in in your past and you know you just say what you need to say about it it's one of the best films ever you know it's unique it's but it's i mean we gotta see it on a big screen somewhere in town or something. I mean, yeah. it for especially for kids. I'm trying to think if we ever screened it for the Now Free Flicks program. I don't know that we ever did. Maybe we should. We will. Maybe we can do that over Christmas or something. But yeah, it would be, it would be great. And and the re-release in 2002, the 20th anniversary that mm. they did was. You know, a well-meaning abomination. They took the guns out, and they did you ever see that? No. Kind? Yeah, it's on that. Uh, it's on this two-disc DVD set. What so did they the do? I still have it. So they re they recut it slightly to make it um, suitable for pretend uh, for contemporary audiences. And so what they did was the, uh, there's a couple of small edits to the soundtrack. Uh, Elliot doesn't say penis breath anymore. That's uh, my favorite line. And it's a terrible insult. It's, it's so perfect for a kid. I mean, that was one of the other things that I like remain that remains so clear in my head was that insult. And yeah. how could they how could they take that out? Yeah, well they took that out and then this is the more infamous thing. Digitally they replaced the guns with walkie-talkies. So there's only one shot. Which it's gun? the scene when was there a right? Gun? It's the trigger for the flying sequence. During the chase, okay. Elliot sees the guns. It sees um, see. two FBI guys come out of a, of a sedan, blocking them at the bottom of the hill. Yeah, and the kids are all on their dirt bikes, coming at them. And there's a, a snap zoom. It's sort of its frames are dropped to make it more immediate. And Elliot registers the shotgun. Right, right, right. And his and terror is what triggers ET to save them. Right. But it was gone. It was just like they're holding walkie-talkies and it's it's an incredibly awkward digital fix that doesn't make it into any subsequent restoration or the Blu-ray or the 4K hope, discs. I hope not. No, they, they went back to the originals. I mean, just, 
what's wrong with with seeing fear from guns that, th- yeah, that are not right? being shot? Well, I think it was right <laughs> after 9-11 and everybody was just nervous about right. everything. Yeah. And it's, again, you know, those those retrospective choices. Oh, well, if I was making the movie now, I wouldn't have done that. So, well, you didn't, though. You made, you made it then, and that's what it is. Yeah. It's also got to be legitimately terrifying. Absolutely. You have to be afraid of them. I mean, also, as you say, it's what makes E.T. make a bicycle fly. Yeah. We need something. Yeah. And it is great. Even though we've already seen him do it, it's, <laughs> it's still, it's so thrilling. And again, you know, I don't think we've mentioned John Williams yet, but his score mm. is just so important to yeah. that. I, and again, 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 I always say this about his stuff. You don't need the dialogue for most... I, I've watched... I've ended up accidentally watching Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom twice without any sound. Really? Uh, yeah. And just fascinated by it. And like twice, Once it was here at home and once it was at a bar, it was playing. Mm-hmm. And I just ended up watching the whole movie. And it's cut to action so well. Mm. It's so clear what everything is. Even in the dialogue scenes, you can mm-hmm. see what's at stake. And you don't need the dialogue, but it does lack the music and I realized later that the reason it didn't bother me was because I was playing the score in my head in your head yeah Yeah. you know it so well yeah and E.T. is E.T. is almost better proof of that because there is no dialogue in so much of the film it's just small woodwinds and low tones and then huge explosive symphony and it's just it is such a an intrinsic marriage of Mm. intrinsic is probably the wrong word but it so beautifully weds image to sound yeah and that score is again. You hear it on like my endless listen to classical radio, and it shows up all the time. Absolutely, yeah. And I actually listen to part of it after because again, it becomes part of your experience as a child. But when you're kind of trying to piece together how someone makes something that incredible, you start to block off. Okay, well, what's this and what's that? And yeah. absolutely, the score. I heard it in a very different way. And then, yeah, listening to it after, it's beautiful. Yeah, it really is. Even the even this chase music, which is yeah. way faster and more rousing, a lot of urgency, mm-hmm. it's still, it's symphonic. It's a suite. Absolutely. Right? Like it's just beautiful to listen to. Yeah. And this is where I betray my utter lack of musical terminology. I it mean, just sounds good. I think it sounds great. It sounds real nice. <laughs> but it does. And it and it makes the it makes the puppet live. Mm, it, mm-hmm. it does a lot of feeling for E.T. when he's just in silhouette. Absolutely. You sense hesitation and, and yeah. fear and terror and, and it's yeah. just oh damn it. Yeah, no, it's just so I'm trying weird. to think of the what was going on. I I loved the you know that beer sequence and then the cutting back and forth. And there, I don't remember exactly what it sounded like, but there was something pretty... It's kind of frantic. Yeah. Really it was a fun, weird sequence. Yeah. It's like the basket chase in... Um, or the market chase in Raiders, where yeah. things just sort of hop along here yeah. and there on, on woodwinds and, and brass. Mm-hmm. I think that's what they're using. I'm probably dead wrong. It's so... We piano. should look that up know. later. But yeah, it's just... Everything about it is is like the best possible version of what it could have been. Mm-hmm. And feels like a miracle and we're like 36 years down the road and the 4k disc came out and it didn't sell terribly well and i'm just 36 years yeah we're old i'm old Uh, (laughs) it's been yeah it's been long enough that almost everything about movie going has changed Mm -hmm. to the point where i i bet you could get an audience of 10 year olds to just sit yeah in total silence for it 
Absolutely. But no one thinks they will. So everything else is bright colors and busy activity. And mm-hmm. I mean, the, the first hour of this film is so calm and and, yeah. and thoughtful yeah. in a way that children's films aren't supposed to be. And, and, you know, really, it's not a film for children. It's a film for anybody who remembers what it was like to be a child. Yeah. And, yeah. and also kids. And also kids. Yeah. It's such a good example of how much more sophisticated children, or the the sophistication of film that children appreciate, and um, the way that we process the you know information as kids. Um, it's really valuable to have films like this. I piece together a lot of how I see the world because of ET, and I watched that when I was six years old. You know and. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, kids just, I mean, I, I, I think there's a lot of sophisticated film for kids too. Like a lot of Pixar stuff is definitely, um, in a very different way. Um, very sophisticated when it comes to emotions and, and sort of like exploring that stuff. But it's nice to have a film for adults that kids watch. (laughs) It helps. Yeah, it It does. We'll just figure things out. Yeah. And it is a sort of a primer for adulthood, for responsibility and for maturity Absolutely. and empathy, just understanding other empathy people. Empathy is a huge one in there. Um, our first DVD, which I discovered one Saturday morning and later told my dad that I watched and he freaked out, was Blue Velvet. Okay, sure. <laughs> That's not an adult film that kids should definitely no, watch. <laughs> probably not. Although... Well, if it was on DVD, it must have been like the late 90s, early 2000s, right? You were... Yeah, it probably was like a teen. Enough. Yeah. I remember still being though. pretty young. Yeah. That is but gonna... still appreciated it. Yes, as a yeah. young person. <laughs> I was going to say that is going to give you some weird ideas about what grown-ups do. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I was 22 and that was... Or 20 and that was definitely my response. Yeah. I wasn't even 20. No, shit. I was 18. It's like, yeah, yeah, you're like, wait, is this what happens? And... That better not be sex. <laughs> I have some questions. I don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> and now this episode has taken a turn. Yeah. Anywho. I was worried I would reveal too much about myself in this episode. <laughs> but mostly about my own love for the little E.T. Yes. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, oh, God, no, it's such a wonderful film. Mm-hmm. And, and we sort of touched on it, but is there anything beyond the low angles and the absence of adults in... in the give and the take. Is there anything else necessarily that you taken from the film? Um, I think th- I think one of the biggest things I realized was that I really liked, um, as we mentioned earlier, seeing what a kid would do in a certain situation mm-hmm. um, as normal, as normal to them or natural to them. And I think with my short, it was kind of like, okay, well, what would this kid do if she found an old magazine? You know, would she dial the number or would she know that the number that wouldn't exist anymore? And she'd probably dial it. And then, you know, she'd chat with somebody for a while. And, you know, just I just wanted to sort of see what a kid would do naturally without asking all the questions and analyzing things that we all do, you know, every second of the day. Right. And I noticed that the way that Elliot sort of navigated through this was something that I really appreciated sort of simple guided by you know your instincts and and just going for you know going for it yeah so I, yeah i kind of noticed that kind of a guilelessness like an yeah. openness to whatever's really happening. open and 
like a lot of feeling, but not overthinking stuff, which I loved. You know, it was so clear with, with Elliot as you watch, like he's following his instincts um, and they're beautiful instincts because he's a child <laughs> and it's amazing. Yeah, it is kind of wonderful. Yeah. It's just the kind of, you know, someone could make one. It, just don't make this movie. You know, we have Mac and me for that, for mm-hmm. an example of why you shouldn't do a film right. like this. But I, I want to believe that the world can still produce a film like this. That is as specific and and small, even when it's being huge and and Mm -hmm. literally like changing the future of of humanity and all of that other stuff. Um, I don't know where it is. I I hope that someone, you know, finds the videotape and watches it and and gets inspired to do that, but in their own way, Mm -hmm. in a way that's different. And then I hope that we recognize it when it happens, because yeah. I don't know that we would. Yeah, I mean, I've, it just, it, it's, I don't know. I, 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 one film I found had a similar, in a completely different way, but a, a mm-hmm. similar um, sort of approach with a, a child following their instincts in a, what is otherwise like a pretty insane uh, context is... Um, Beasts of the Southern Wild. Oh, yeah. And that sort of... There's an innocence, but there's also... There's also a very... There's a sophistication to children when they are making these their decisions and following their instincts. And it's almost like, yeah, do, you should listen to the kid or you should follow that kid. There's a sophistication in not overthinking stuff. And um, there was a bit of a similar essence I found. Although a completely different film, yeah, obviously. it's not a comparison I would have thought to make, but there are definitely echoes in, mm-hmm. in the confidence and in the way that the movie handles, mm-hmm. and not questioning um, things that are otherwise, you know, a little too far in the imagination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, when you're a kid, you don't know that things aren't supposed to be a certain way, right? Like you just respond exactly. to whatever's put in front of you, and. Yeah, that's actually that's a good point of comparison. The other one I was thinking of was Vincent Ward's movie The Navigator, which was in the late oh, I didn't 80s. I see that. And it's a New Zealand film about um, uh, a group of... I don't even know how to describe it. A group of villagers in the, um, in the plague years, during the Black Plague, who go looking for a cure and end up somehow kind of popping out in the present day and following a, a little girl who who is their leader or a little there's a little boy it's a little boy in the navigator it's a little girl in vigil okay. his previous film and it's they're they're again nothing at all like et but they're sort of about um kids seeing through a situation mm-hmm. and, and and adults just understanding that they have to trust them which is also kind of not the point of et it's like it's not mom's journey it's nope. elliot's but it is it's an echo it's a thing that i think maybe made those films possible yeah, because it's 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 an int- it's a very it's a fun journey to to head over with the kid through something like this, mm-hmm. and um, especially because that's not how we would do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like we would definitely make those early phone calls, and yeah. then there'd be no film. But to to follow a child through their, I mean, I guess Guillermo del Toro does that. A yeah, Pan's Labyrinth just sort of flashed through my head too while we were talking yeah it takes you places that we don't go yeah and all it takes is is 
following a child, a chi- what we think a child's instincts would be. Mm-hmm. It's not even, it doesn't require much else. Yeah. And look where you go. Yeah, exactly. My thanks to Anna Hopkins, who you can see in the second season of Bad Blood when it returns Thursday, October 11th on City TV. You should also watch her torment Aaron Abrams in Mark Slutsky's short film Final Offer, which you can find on Vimeo.com under the staff picks. It's pretty cool. And keep an eye out for Anna's short film, The Give and Take, at a festival near you. If you're in Philadelphia, it's screening at the First Glance Film Festival Friday, October 12th. And if you're in Austin, you can catch it at the Austin Film Festival, October 25th and 29th. You can find Anna on Twitter at AnnaBananaHops, all one word. And you can find E.T. the Extraterrestrial on 4K, Blu-ray, and DVD from Universal Studios Home Entertainment. It's also available on iTunes and Google Play. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at SEMCAST, S-E-M-CAST, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you feel like leaving a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy the show, that would be greatly appreciated. Every little bit helps. It truly does. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening. I'm afraid you're just too darn loud.